Hi, my name is Ruben Porter. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church, and it's great to have you on our podcast today. We hope this message encourages you, builds you up in your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Yeah, so as has been mentioned already, uh, tonight is the final night of our Better Now series, looking at how the good news of Jesus impacts our relationships. And to help um, illustrate what we've gone through in this series so far and uh, how we're going to wrap it up tonight, I brought with me a a ball of fairy lights, uh, which I am incredibly familiar with. Uh, I would say in all my years of ministry, probably like 5% of my time has gone to either setting up or taking down fairy lights, uh, which I was unaware of before I got into ministry. Uh, There was no module on uh, fairy light management in my ministerial practicalities class, uh, which is disappointing because that would have been really practical. Um, But if I go ahead and, and switch these on, We'll see in just a minute that um, in this ball of fairy lights, they are all currently sort of overlapping each other, right? They're all intertwined, crossing over in a whole bunch of different ways. And this ball of fairy lights is sort of like how we kicked off this series, Better Now. We kicked off in, in 1 John, and we looked at relationships as a whole, how God's love for us impacts all kinds of different relationships, and that love then crosses over and intertwines in so many different ways. But then, in the weeks to follow, we started to unravel that ball a little bit, right? And we started to unravel it further and further, looking at the individual lights that make up this ball. Husbands, wives, friends, those who are single, those who have been divorced, and then just all followers of Jesus which we can see are still ultimately all connected, right? They're all still joined together, but we took time to examine each of them on a more personal level as an individual light rather than one big ball. But now that we've done that, tonight we're going to go back to thinking of them as one big whole again. We're going to think about relationships again as as they are intertwined and and connected and crossing over in in so many different ways. And so tonight, I just want us to spend some time in one more passage where we see that taking place, where we see relationships as a whole again, like in week one. But this time, identify how many of the relationships we have looked at through the series actually cross over and intertwine so beautifully in church community. That the purpose of exploring all these different kinds of relationships would be so that we can be stronger when we bring all those relationships together within a church community. And so if you want to turn there with me, we're going to be in First Thessalonians tonight uh, in chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at a passage that I think paints this, pic- this uh, picture so beautifully. You see, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to a church in a city called Thessalonica, and he's considering all the different ways that uh, relationships within a church overlap and how individual behavior impacts whether that community of relationships thrives in unity or begins to unravel rapidly. And so let's just check it out together. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, and this is what it says as we wrap up this series. Paul writes this, he says, Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God, as we have taught you. You live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. 
God's will is for you to be holy, to stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins, as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. But we don't write to you about the importance of, well, we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia, but even so, Dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way that you live, and you will not need to depend on others. So if you've been with us through this series, you may have already begun to identify a number of the relationships we have explored crossing over in this passage. How we conduct ourselves sexually, the value of marriage, how we are to treat fellow believers, our relationship with God, with Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and even our relationship to people who aren't believers yet. A bunch of relationships that we've looked at through the series overlapping and crossing over in all sorts of different ways. Kind of like what it looks like, right, when you take a long line of fairy lights and you start to roll them up together into one big ball with all the different strands of lights crossing over and intertwining in all sorts of directions. Because you see, relationships within a church community aren't just a bunch of people huddling closer together shoulder to shoulder. It's far more interconnected than that. There's far more crossover. For example, in our passage tonight, Paul says that if you're going to truly love your fellow believer, then how you behave sexually matters because it can actually directly impact that believer. How? Well, one of the examples Paul gives, right, is is somebody violating somebody else's wife. And so one example would be how in marriage, anytime anyone has an affair, it never just impacts the two individuals involved when it all comes out. It has a huge effect on the other spouse, friends, family, and other close-knit community like church community. And the same is true if two unmarried individuals within a church community take things too far. If it doesn't end well, and often doesn't when we're involved in sin, then what might have been a close-knit group of friends within a church can become strained. Because now you have two individuals who either can't or don't want to be around each other, and people may feel that they need to support one person, meaning that they can't spend as much time with the other, and that puts a strain on the unity of that community. And so our sexual behavior can not only impact ourselves and the other person involved, but hurt a lot of others impacting a number of the relationships we have covered through the series. Marriage, friendship, relationship with fellow believers, and and even your unity with God himself. And so suddenly our actions not only affect us, but they affect a whole bunch of people who we are deeply intertwined with here at Crossroads and beyond. And that's just one of the intertwining relationships Paul covers here in this passage. He talks about our sexual conduct and the way that we value marriage. But he also speaks to our work ethic and how we treat other believers in general. 
creating even more opportunity for crossover and interconnection with one another. You know, we might think, why, does it, why would it matter if, uh, to my church if I call in sick when I'm actually feeling fine? Or who cares what I do on a Saturday with someone I match with on Tinder my church doesn't need to know? Or, you know, me and my spouse, we don't get on anymore and we've been fighting for years, but that's behind closed doors. So, you know, when we show up to church, we'll behave like good Christians and make sure everything looks like it's fine. But Paul indicates in our passage tonight and in other places like 1 Corinthians that in genuine church community, the actions of an individual do impact everybody else in that church because we've been brought together to function as one body. And so it's likely that I won't be able to live my life without either positively or negatively impacting yours. The way that you carry yourself in the workplace helps your coworkers form an opinion on what people from Crossroads must be like or at uni. You know, whoever you secretly meet up with on a Saturday night is being told through your actions that Christians from Crossroads don't seem to hold tightly to what they thought Christians would value. You know, they might just think, you're just like me, except sort of worse because you're pretending to be something that you aren't. Or constantly fighting at home, but then pretending everything is fine when you come to church tells your kids that this is all a facade, that it's all fake. That there's no substance to this faith stuff because they don't see it in mum and dad when you leave this place. Or if someone like myself in leadership was to be caught up in a scandal, it can do a lot of damage to people's faith journeys because I may have walked alongside you and supported you in your life and I might have taught things from the front that you found really valuable and yet because something has happened, you may now feel that you need to question everything that I ever said. You know, the way we live our lives will either positively or negatively impact each other, which can sound scary. But if I'm trying to live my life like Jesus, then it's a worthwhile risk because a community of people fully committed to following Jesus, actively sharing his love and serving others is an absolutely beautiful thing to be a part of, opening up all sorts of opportunities that we wouldn't be possible if we were out on our own. I think about nights like Kingdom Night coming up this Tuesday. What an incredible opportunity for our community to gather together and worship together and minister to each other. Something that can only be done because we all gather together. And the time of praying for each other on those nights is particularly significant because it requires us to be open and vulnerable with each other, intertwining us deeper as a community. Your hurts are my hurts and I carry them with you. Your wins are now my wins and I celebrate those with you and vice versa. And that's something that can only be done in community. I think about ministries such as Let's Talk English or Girls Rally or CY or mainly music or the Early Childhood Center or Playgroup, you know, opportunities that we have to care for a variety of different communities because we come together. No one individual is able to pull any of those things off. We do it collectively. And so when we come together as people all in to be like Jesus, it looks like nothing else on earth. And so I personally will gladly risk living with my heart on my sleeve to be in community like that, to be a, a part of a small piece of what heaven looks like here on earth. I'm not waiting for eternity because eternity already started when I gave my life to Jesus. And so I'll live like that now with all of you guys as we intertwine our lives closer and closer together. And so as Paul suggests, I will commit to striving to live in a way that pleases the Lord. 
I'll commit to not harming another fellow believer by violating his wife or doing anything inappropriate with any other females in our church community. I'll commit to striving to love you like God has loved me. And I'll commit to working hard just to name a few of the things that Paul lists in our passage. And if you'll make those same commitments to me, then man, what an incredible community of unity we'll continue to have. A community of people fully committed to following Jesus, actively sharing his love and serving others. That's who we dream to be. And I say continue to have because I'm not saying these things tonight from a place of, oh man, we're a mess and we've got a lot of work to do. I feel like I'm saying these things from the same place as Paul, that you live this way already and we encourage you to do so even more. Or, you know, we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. You know, we're not perfect by any means. We've all got work to do, but I want to recognize that so many of you are already striving to or are already living in some of the ways that we've talked about tonight. And so tonight, I just more so want to encourage us to keep going and give us some practical advice around how we can keep going in this journey. And and that's what I want to take some time to focus on now. And so Paul, he encourages us to strive to live in healthy community, recognizing that when we do, our lives will intertwine and overlap in so many ways. But a healthy community is healthy because it's made up of healthy individuals, right? Or more so, individuals who are striving to live healthy lives. Though we are deeply intertwined, we are still individuals, just like each individual bulb in the ball of fairy lights. And so there is opportunity for each of us as individuals to strive to make that happen. And all those commitments that I made just a moment ago, all those areas of life that Paul encourages us to pursue, to keep uh, in a healthy place in this passage, they all require individual responsibility and, and commitment, right? So though tonight we're thinking about um, you know, how to live life in community and how that's deeply intertwined, the application for us to take away is primarily individual. Because if I want Crossroads to be the kind of place that operates in a way that is pleasing to God, then I personally need to be living in a way that pleases God. If I want Crossroads to be a place where marriage is valued and protected, then I need to be protecting myself from compromising situations. If we are called to live holy lives, then that is something that I personally need to commit to pursuing. If we're called to be a community who are respected by unbelievers because we work hard, then I personally need to commit to a strong work ethic. Who we want to be collectively, it starts with each of us individually. Who we want to be collectively starts with each of us individually. And when trying to think about how exactly we do that according to what Paul's been teaching us tonight in our passage, I found my own mindset really challenged, and I had to think about this for a while. Because Paul's advice for us as individuals to create healthy community is to live holy lives, which just means to live set-apart lives, to live like Jesus, even when that is countercultural to the world around us. And Paul, he even clarifies that in our passage, right? He says to the Thessalonians, if you stay away from sexual sin, you won't be living in lustful passion like the people around you. And so the Thessalonian church, they were set apart. They were different to the world around them because they chose not to live in these ways. And that's what made them holy because they were living like Jesus. 
But I think what challenged me about this is I often think, oh yeah, and so the more holy I am, the better I'll be at the stuff that Paul tells us to, to do. But Paul says that it's by choosing not to behave in these ways that we are holy. It's not the holiness that comes first and then the ability to refrain from these kinds of behaviors. Of course, we do need the forgiveness of Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit for it all to be possible. But then there are some hard yards for us to do with the Holy Spirit's help to refrain from or embrace these different kinds of characteristics that Paul lists in our passage tonight. You know, that we are recognized as being set apart for having um, within ourselves. I'll I'll give a, a personal example. I remember a number of years ago, I felt like I hit a bit of a wall when it came to lustful thoughts. I didn't like how regular they were or how strong they were in my mind. And I felt like despite striving to spend quality time with God through his word, through prayer, through worship, they hadn't really improved. It felt like while a number of areas in my life of faith were growing and had got better, my lustful thoughts remained the same and they hadn't changed. And, uh, and I think what I thought was that the more time I spent with God and the more I got to know him, those thoughts would just go away. They'd just disappear. And that investing in my faith and developing a deeper understanding and love for God would sort of just cover those thoughts and, and would just automatically push them out and I wouldn't have them anymore. And I remember one time having a conversation with a spiritual mentor about this and, and saying, you know, as I've been pursuing God, a lot of things have been improving for me, but this one area in particular hasn't. And I sort of just feel stuck and confused as to why these thoughts aren't going away. And I can't remember exactly what he said to me in response, but I remember that out of that conversation, I realized I wasn't actually putting much effort into that area. Like I said, I was just sort of waiting for God to take those thoughts away automatically because I love Jesus, that that would just happen. But when those thoughts would come, I wasn't really doing anything to try to stop them. I wasn't choosing to recognize them and choosing to think about something else instead. Up until that conversation, I hadn't really talked to anyone or or got advice about what I could maybe do about it. And to be honest, often I was actually actively choosing to let my mind go to those places. And so out of that conversation, I recognized I've actually got some hard yards to do in that area, right? I've got some work to do. I've got to put in some effort. If I want to be set apart, if I want to be holy in the way I think about these things or not think about these things, I can't just wait for it to magically happen because I love God. I'm going to have to begin to actively recognize those thoughts, capture them and replace them with something else. I'm going to need to continue to have conversations with people who can support me rather than continuing to carry this weight on my own, worrying about what other people might think. As Paul says in our passage, I'm going to have to learn to control my own body in a way that is holy and honorable. And for me, that was a game changer. It was hard work and it took a lot of time and it's still an ongoing battle one that I don't think will be over until Jesus comes back or I go to be with him. But once I realized that I had some work to do, some effort to make, then I started to make the kind of progress that I had been hoping for. When we struggle with something, I think sometimes it can be easy to just wait for God to sort it. And if he doesn't, just resign to the fact of, well, I guess this is just who I am and how it will always be. There's nothing I can do about it. But I think often we personally have to take some steps forward and do the mahi and then let the Holy Spirit lead us and carry us through the parts that we wouldn't be able to do without him. 
I really love the story of, of when P- the Apostle Peter escapes from prison because I, I think it speaks to this really well. It's in Acts chapter 12, and we're just going to have a look through it now, starting in verse 6, um, as to how it speaks to this. And this is what it says. It says, The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And so he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. And so they passed the first and the second guard posts and they came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through, and they started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. You know, what I really love about this story is that God could have just instantly teleported Peter out of the prison, and this would have all been over. He didn't have to go through this whole series of events where the angel leads Peter out of the prison, but that's what God chooses to do. And at every step of the way, the angel has Peter do all the things that he can do. He has Peter get up. He tells Peter to get dressed and put on his sandals. And then he tells, the angel tells Peter, he says, come and follow me. But any of the things that Peter couldn't do on his own, the angel takes care of, right? The chains fall from Peter's hands. They walk right past the guard post without being seen. And the locked gates, they open up for them. God could have just done everything for Peter, but he doesn't. He has Peter take all the steps that Peter could. I think the same is true for us in our pursuit of living holy lives. You've got to do what you can do. If you're regularly flying off the handle at people at work or at uni, um, then you need to do something about that. You know, don't just wait for God to fix it. Seek help. Come chat to the pastoral team here at Crossroads. We may be able to connect you with some counseling or some anger management to help you work through that. If you're always late for work, then set an alarm earlier and get up earlier. If there's a specific married individual here at church that you're really attracted to or you're married and they aren't, but you're finding yourself wanting to be around them more and more and as much as possible, you've got to talk to somebody about that. And maybe even actively choose to keep some distance between yourself and that person to avoid any compromising situations. And again, you can come and chat to the pastoral team and we may be able to connect you with a mentor who can keep you accountable on that journey. If there's somebody in this church community that you've fallen out with and can't stand to be around, we should work through that together. Let us mediate that conversation if that would be helpful for you, or if it is appropriate and proper, then begin the process of reconciliation with them yourself. And those are just a couple of examples, right? It could be a number of other things. But if we want to continue to be the kind of healthy, intertwined community that Paul speaks of in our passage, there is personal responsibility for us to take action and start to make that happen. When we believe that Jesus is our Savior, we are redeemed and forgiven, and that will always be true. But if we want to be set apart in a way that is respected by people around us, we have to actively choose to live that way each day. 
Living a holy life is a choice that is made possible through believing that Jesus gave his life for us so we can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live this way. And so please don't misunderstand. We can't do this without God, and we aren't trying to earn our way to him by living like this. We're just simply trying to live like this so we can be more like Jesus to the people around us. And there's some personal responsibility that we've got to take in order to make that happen. But I don't want you to just walk away tonight feeling pressure to live a holy life for the sake of your community. Because being intertwined is not just about doing the right thing so others don't get hurt. It's also an opportunity to be supported and encouraged by those that you are intertwined with when you're finding it hard to live a set-apart life the way that we're called to live. When I was finding it difficult to control my lustful thoughts, it was by opening up to a spiritual mentor that led to me being able to make positive change in that area. I was sharing my struggles with another that I am intertwined with in God's kingdom. Yes, we have personal responsibility for the health of our community, but our community also has responsibility and care for us. You're not just one individual that has to hold the line for everyone. Let everyone else hold that line with you. Share your pain with your connect group so they can lift you up when you're finding it too difficult to stand yourself. Be honest about your struggles with your mentors so they can support and be accountability for you as you work through those struggles. And if you don't have or aren't a part of either of those things, you can head to our website, crossroads.co.nz, and register your interest for either connect groups or a mentor or both, if both would be helpful for you. And also feel free to come chat to me after the service if that would be helpful as well. You are intertwined with this community so that you don't have to do any of it alone. This interconnection, it's a responsibility, but it's also an opportunity to receive care and support in ways that you wouldn't receive if you were out in the world on your own. Because again, when we come together to be uh, people all in to be like Jesus, it looks like nothing else on earth. And so I personally will gladly risk living my life with my heart on my sleeve to be in a community like that. So again, as Paul suggests, I will commit to striving to live in a way that pleases the Lord. I will commit to not harming another fellow believer by violating his wife or doing anything inappropriate with any other female in our church community. And I'll commit to loving you like God has loved me and I'll commit to working hard. But if I'm finding it difficult to hold the line on any of those things, because striving for holiness doesn't mean that those things just go away and I'll likely have to battle many of them for the rest of my life until I'm with Jesus, then I'll come to you and I will let you in. And you can help me hold that line with me when I'm not strong enough to hold it myself. And if you'll make the same commitments to me and let me in when you can't hold the line, then man, what an com incredible community of unity will continue to have. And I believe that's what it looks like for us to be deeply intertwined as a church community here at Crossroads. I've got me and you've got you, but if I don't have me, then I know you've got me. And if you don't have you, then you know I've got you. It's a divine balance of personal responsibility to both myself and to you. You can trust me to pursue a holy life, but if I'm struggling, then I can trust you to help me and support me. And I can trust you to live a life of holiness, but if you're struggling, you can trust me to support you. And so together over the last 10 weeks, 
we sort of unraveled the, the ball of fairy lights, right? And we've examined a bunch of individual relationships, a bunch of different lights that, that make up the ball. But now we're rolling them all back together to view as a whole one last time tonight. Because when we come together as a whole, we can be a community of people fully committed to following Jesus, actively sharing his love and serving others. No matter who we are or where we find ourselves, that is who we can be when we come together and let our lives and our relationships cross over and intertwine in the kinds of ways we've seen Paul talk about tonight. And it all centers on the good news of Jesus, that he died and he rose from the dead, defeating death so that we can all have life, life after we die, but also life today, that our relationships can be better now today because of the good news of Jesus. And so as we get ready to wrap up now, we're going to move into a time of communion and we're going to reflect on what Jesus did for us. The fact that he went to the cross for us and he died, but he rose again. The fact that his body was broken for us and his blood was poured out for us, but that wasn't the end for him. He defeated death, he came back to life and he has given us life. If you don't know Jesus, if you just call on him as your savior and say, I believe that you died for me, Lord, you can have a relationship with him. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Your relationships can be better now because you have the Holy Spirit with you to help make that happen. And so as we move into a time of communion now, I think it's a cool opportunity to think about all the different ways Jesus has changed our lives, how he has changed our relationships, that when we believed in him, it didn't just impact us for eternity and the fact that we get to be with him for eternity it impacts how we live right now and our relationships can be better now and so maybe you want to come and take the bread and the juice and just reflect on that for a moment what about my life is different because of the sacrifice jesus made what about my relationships is different because of the sacrifice jesus made and just thank him for that and just reflect on that and then we're going to spend a bit of time in song and if during that time we can be praying for you in any sort of way. I'll be down here at the front. Come down. I'd love to pray for you. Or maybe afterwards you'd like to just come and chat more about what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. Come chat. We'd love to tell you more about that. But let me just pray for us now and then in your own time, come down and and take the bread and take the juice and just have some time to reflect on what Jesus did. God, we're so grateful that we've been able to spend some time in your word tonight. We're so grateful that you are so good and that Because of you, our relationships can be better now, Lord. Thank you that you empower us with our Holy Spirit to live differently and for those things to be different. And we recognize that it all started because you gave your life for us on the cross, Jesus. It's the reason why it's all possible. So we just want to take some time now, Lord, to reflect on that and thank you for that. Thank you that you give us life beyond the grave, but thank you that you give us life today as well and that our lives can be different today because of you. And I just pray, Lord, that as we wrap up the series now, that um, our relationships would be healthier with one another so that we can be an incredible example to those who aren't believers yet of what it looks like to be a follower of you. I pray that you'd bring us together as individuals in all the different situations we find ourselves, whether we're married or single or divorced or whatever it may be, Lord, and you would bring us together in unity and use us powerfully as a church community. We thank you that you're with us, Lord. We thank you that you guide us and lead us throughout all of it, Lord. And we thank you for this time tonight. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you'd like any more information on our church, 
how to give, or after this message you'd like to talk to someone, you can find everything you'll need to know on our website, crossroads.co.nz. Make sure you subscribe to this channel to keep up to date with new content, but thanks again, and we'll catch you soon.